0: You're listening to the Long's Chapel Weekly Message Podcast, available Sundays at 5 o'clock p.m. If you would like to connect to Long's Chapel or keep up with all events happening at Long's Chapel Church, connect with us via Instagram, Facebook, or on our church website, longschapel.com. Here at Long's Chapel, we believe in worshiping and serving God by reaching people and growing together as passionate followers of Jesus Christ, because all people matter to God. This week's message comes from our lead pastor, Reverend Chris Westmoreland. Uh, grateful today we get to um, continue in a conversation where we've been talking a little bit about tennis lessons. And again, if you know nothing about tennis or if you don't care about tennis, it's really okay. I'm still praying the sermon is for you because uh, um, I'm inviting us into a conversation actually about like real spiritual principles, inviting you to look at that through the lens of tennis just because it's an interesting way to look at um, some of the kind of rules of tennis and some of the norms of tennis actually really do. To illustrate something about the Christian life. So I'm inviting you into that a little bit. Um, and today we get an opportunity to talk about when something is out of bounds, when something is out of bounds. So I want you to think about with me, I want you to envision a tennis court. I don't have a picture of this for you, but I want you to envision a tennis court. And there are a bunch of lines in a tennis court. Anybody been watching Wimbledon at all? Okay, maybe not. All right. Yeah, a few of you, a few of us. Um, it was on ABC yesterday, so I was wondering. But I'm inviting you to think about the lines and the lines actually just aren't for show. They aren't actually just for looks. Believe it or not, if a ball hits inside of the line or if a ball hits on the line, guess what? It's good. And this is the sign for good in tennis. You just wanna throw that out? Everybody just wanna throw out their little good sign? Yeah, that's good. So you could even use this with sign language at home. Like somebody says something and you just do that and just save yourself some words. So if it, if it hits outside of the line, um, if it hits outside of the line, then it's, it's actually this, which is back or out. So you wanna do that with me real quick? So it's out. So if somebody starts to be mean to you in a conversation, you know them pretty well, you could just do this. And, and that's not to shut them up. That's just to say, you're out of bounds, sir. <laughs> Young lady, you're out of bounds. All right, you're out. Here's the challenge, right? Is though, is in tennis, sometimes what somebody on one side of the net thinks is in, the other person thinks is out. Guess what, that sounds like it's true in life as well, doesn't it? What one person thinks is in, another person thinks is out. I never actually, um, I, I've never actually felt bad for line judges in tennis. Um, I promise I'm getting off the tennis thing in just a sec. But, um, but I've never felt bad for line judges. But yesterday I'm watching a little bit of Wimbledon and I'm feeling really bad for like these line judges. A couple of them that called, um, that called two balls, I'm thinking of very specifically, that called them out. And when they did the instant replay kind of thing, because they do that now, when they did the instant replay thing, the ball caught like that, like a centimeter of the line, which actually actually means it's in but they had called it out, which if the person had challenged, right, it could be changed. But, but how difficult it is from 20 feet away to be looking at a line, and that's your whole job is to look at a line, right, if you're at a professional tennis level. And, and the ball like, goes that much in, and you missed the call because it looked out because most of the ball was out, but a little piece of it touched in. Do you see the ambiguity there? Do you see the challenge there, the frustration there? And that like, is part of like, a, a, a great example, I think, of the challenges that we experience sometimes in life. So uh, um, I want to invite us to think a little bit about the honor system in life. And that's sometimes kind of challenging to do. And here's why it's challenging to do. It's challenging to do sometimes because um, we're a mess. (laughs) Like we. Can anybody anybody just say, I'm a mess? Yeah. And if you didn't say that, I'm going to ask the people in your family and they're going to tell me that you're a mess. (laughs) Because you are. And because we need to own it. Because what if today we're going to talk a bit about character? And, and what if step one in Christian character is some sense of humility, of appreciating the fact that there are none of us that actually have it all together? I know some of us think we do, and we do not. And that's not a rip on you. That's actually, like, we're going to talk a little bit about maturity and faith and what a big deal that is, especially to Wesleyan. Um, Wesleyan Methodist Christians like spiritual maturity is like a really big deal it's like huge it's like really important to be able to grow in God's grace and at the very same time we need to be able to appreciate the fact that no matter how much grace of God we've grown into there's like that much more grace that we haven't even touched yet Because that's how big God's grace is. Because how could God's grace captivate all of our hearts if, like, it wasn't that big, right? It it is that big. And so I want to invite us into just one verse of Scripture. So I'm hoping you can really grab hold of this, almost like a memory verse this week. Um, And it's from Leviticus 11, and it's verse 45. And I want to read it, and then I'm going to break it down and have you say it with me. Um, and then we'll say it all together, okay? Because since it's just one verse, I want to really dig down on this one today. Um, And so um, uh, verse 45 of Leviticus 11 says this, I am God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Be holy because I am holy. Okay, so say that with me. I'll do like three words at a time. I am God. (laughs) Oh, you are. No, I'm just (laughs) thinking. Let's start over. Sorry, my bad. I am God. Who brought you out out of the land of Egypt, Egypt. be holy holy. because I am holy. holy. Love it. Let's read that one more time together. I am God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Be holy because I am holy. This is the word of God for the people of God. See, you thought that um, it was an accident that you sung a song about slavery to liberation and freedom today. But with Caroline and selections of music, there's very rarely accidents there. It's pretty intentional that we would have an opportunity to sing a song about liberation. Why? Because we have an opportunity to listen for the voice and to follow the spirit of a God who led us out of Egypt, right, think about that slavery image, who led us out of bondage. Think about the fact that like sin and death are often the things that we think sometimes we're in bondage to, right? That a God that led us out of out of Egypt, a God that led us out of, continues to lead us out of prisons and continues to lead us out of um, slavery and continues to lead us out of, like, disruptive patterns and behaviors in our lives and in our world. Like, we have a God who is leading us out of all of that. And so, like, it's almost like God is saying, be holy because I am holy. And, like, our response to that starts in a bit of confession where we get to say, God, how in the world can we be holy when we are a, we are a mess? We are a mess. I love this. Um, I, again, I didn't throw it to Caroline for the screen today, but, but I love this. I just ran across it this week. I'm gonna throw it up here for you. Um, can, anybody, can anybody read that, especially you guys on the front row? Can you guys read that? <laughs> yeah, it says, um, be kind, we're all idiots. Right? And that was like a favorite bumper sticker that I saw this week. Some of you took offense to that, I could tell. (laughs) Be kind, we're all idiots. But if you've been driving in Haywood County the last several months, you don't take offense to that because you know that that's actually true. (laughs) Right? There's a little something to that. I'm actually not inviting you to take offense to that because if you actually took offense to that, I actually want to lean in a little bit there. Because I want to invite you to extend some grace to yourself because I don't think we can have a conversation about like character and being formed out of the heart of who Jesus is unless we're able to, in a spirit of confession and acknowledgement, acknowledge that like we're on the journey. Like we're on the journey. I I wanna invite you, like no matter how far we've gone in the journey, we're still learning, we're still growing. Um, Anybody ever had to extend uh, forgiveness to somebody in a relationship because you hated what they did? but you loved them and cared for the relationship enough to try to forgive them and move forward in it because, um, well, they were pretty imperfect and they revealed that imperfection to you. Anybody ever been in that situation? And it's okay, your hand doesn't have to go up. We've all been in that situation if we've lived long enough, right? I love how C.S. Lewis says this. C.S. Lewis says, um, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one else is watching. Integrity is doing the right thing even when no one else is watching that's one of the interesting things about being a pastor is that you kind of you kind of know that somebody's always watching so that's an interesting thing right but i want you to kind of embrace that for just a minute so there's not a ton of times when nobody else is watching but but integrity is like doing the right thing even in those circumstances even in those moments even in those challenges now you understand why i'm inviting you to appreciate the fact that we're all a mess But because there are times where we're not going to do well with that. And prayerfully, those are the times that we're able to learn and grow and begin to lean into the love of God that meets us right where we are. God's love meets us right where we are. What I want to add of this Leviticus passage, Leviticus 11, and Leviticus is interesting, right? Because it's actually called in Scripture, it's called the Holiness Code. Okay, can you say that with me? It's like a big church language, holiness code. And it's big, right? Like, so Leviticus is in the, um, the Hebrew covenant, right? In the, in the Old Testament, it's this notion of these are the ways that God is inviting you through commandments to be uh, your best self and to reflect the glory and the love that God is pouring into your life, right? And, and so that's some of what the purpose of Leviticus is. Now, we get in the New Testament, we realize that some of the stuff that's in Leviticus, we still observe and some of the stuff we don't. And so obviously that's a really important point of conversation about how we arrive um, at those discernments. But I just want to remind you that we get to the place though where Jesus is really clear on the fact that he doesn't come to do away with all of that. He comes to fulfill it. He comes to fulfill it. Like he comes to be the fulfillment of everything that God said that the commandments and holiness were pointing to. So not that these commandments are any less important today than they were when Jesus showed up on the scene. And at the very same time, right, Jesus, um, because he is the fulfillment, he actually changes the way we see them, changes the way we we look at them and and changes the way we're able to actually embrace what these commandments um, and what this kind of holiness code, what it actually means. And I would also actually say, and what we're meant to, to get out of the investment that we have in, quote unquote, living a life of of holiness, or or living out our character, or the values that God is inviting us to uh, to grab hold of. So, what I have for you this morning is um, five character building tips. That may be like way too much, but clearly God's been working on my heart a lot this week. My my hope and prayer is that one of them will really take root in your spirit. So that's my hope and prayer. Um, first one is this. First one is this, um, and this actually grows out of uh, one of the disciple Bible study classes that I got to lead. Disciple Bible study is a wonderful tool that um, actually is able to take folks through the story of the scriptures um, in about 30 weeks, depending on which version you sign up for. But I love the fact that um, I got to the last week of a class where 90% of the people in the class had never really had a regimen or a practice of reading the Bible before. So it's the first time they'd really read the Bible every day and come together weekly to discuss it. And I'll never forget, Well, I asked them two questions at the end. I said, hey, what did you learn about God in this? And man, their list about what they learned about God was just amazing. And again, these are relatively new folks to the faith. And, and then I asked them what they learned about themselves. And they all coalesced around this one massive takeaway that after reading the whole story of the scriptures, here was their takeaway about what they had learned about themselves or what they had learned about uh, humankind. Uh, It's this. It's um, It's that your primary call in life is to run your own race. That your primary call in life is to run your own race. That you'll never get anywhere if you don't run your own race. And so you have to start our walk with Jesus by you doing you, right? You doing you. And so I'll go back to that question in Genesis that's asked um, uh, right around the time when two brothers are um, kind of fighting and one has actually slayed the other. And there's this really amazing question that comes out of that, that conversation, um, which is, am I my brother's keeper? Well, you are your brother's keeper and your sister's keeper, and you're also not your brother's or sister's keeper, right? You are and, and you aren't. And I think it's really important as we think about character, like I think it's really hard to pay attention to our own heart if all we can do is focus on somebody else's heart or what they're doing or what they're not doing, I want to release you from the responsibility of feeling like that you have to be the moral police. Like I want to invite you to like not have to bear that responsibility that really is only God's responsibility alone to bear. Because God's the only one that can really bear that responsibility, right? Like, I want to invite you to run your race. I want to invite you to run... Nobody else's race. Now, here's what's interesting about that, right, is that it's a balance because church, part of the very purpose of church, and the way we kind of talk about this, is that part of the responsibility of church is to read and discern God's voice from the scriptures and from conversations that we have together to be able to name sin, to be able to name sin and talk about what's challenging and what's important, what we need to pay attention to and what's getting in our way. And the way we think and pray about that is what is an obstacle to God's grace that's getting in my way of not being able to fully receive the love that God has for me. And for church to be able to have conversation about those things and be able to name those things, really, really important. Can I use like two easy Methodist examples here? Um, number one, you may or may not know this, but um, the United Methodist Women, Women in Faith now, like started out as the Methodist Women's Society, which was, was and actually still is, I think, the largest um, grouping of, of women in like a nonprofit Christian kind of organization. So like pretty significant, but did you know that um, that child labor laws were initiated because women of faith raised their voice and said, this is not right that you got kids working in mines for 15 hours a day, but they're not even getting paid and they're living to be the ripe old age of 14 because they're dying in accidents and this is not okay. And so like follower, voices of the followers of Jesus, most particularly the, that were women, responded and said, you cannot do this to our sons and daughters. This is not okay. We will not stand for this because God does not stand for this. That's important, right? Can we celebrate that? Can we celebrate moments where we get to like be God's voice of justice? Yeah, how important that is. I'm thinking about another easy example too, but it's also a Methodist example of um, when we first kind of started um, like serving great Jews at communion instead of just wine. And you may or may not know that um, Mr. Welch like Welch's grape juice. Anybody like Welch's grape juice? Woo. But he was a Methodist layperson and he was wrestling with the fact that he, during temperance, he wanted his church to be able to observe communion, but he actually couldn't figure out a way to do that when wine was kind of outlawed, right? And so he found a way to pasteurize grape juice. Guess what? He found like there was a market and a business in that. Imagine that. But that's, that was not his original purpose. His original purpose wasn't to make money. His original purpose was to glorify God by allowing his church to not break the law, but also at the very same time to honor the sacrifice and the love of Jesus through the celebration of of the Last Supper. And so um, what that continued on in Methodist circles, which is why we still use grape juice um, in most Methodist churches, is because there are folks that are in recovery for which sometimes a little cup of wine can actually really activate some really challenging things um, in folks. And so the thought and the goal was, hey, if this is a simple modification that we can make and God can honor it, then isn't it a really good thing that like we can do this and not actually cause people to stumble or cause people to fall? And that all started in like a Methodist congregation just like this, like really cool stuff, right? Like that's important. Like that's an important role of the church. Here's the problem though. The danger here though sometimes is that we get so caught up in running other people's lives that we forget to run our own race, right? I get so worried about, let me use an example. I get so worried about somebody not, Um, having wine at communion that's actually going to cause a problem for their own spiritual walk and their own personal life, I get so wrapped up in that that I don't participate in communion myself because I'm more worried about their experience. I'm more worried about their journey. I I ran into this a little bit this week. This is like a real challenge, right, for us. It's a real tension. It's not going to be solved right? It's not going to be resolved. It's going to be managed. It's a tension of how do we name sin? And at the very same time, how do we like keep our hearts focused on our own race? Because that's the race that we actually have some agency and control over. But you guys know this, the number one excuse for people that people use for not engaging in the life of the church is, do you know this, what this is? Do you want to just holler out your guess out loud? Hypocrisy, yeah. Here's what they say, whether it's an excuse or a reason or probably a little bit of both. Here's what they say, the people in my life that I know that go to church, they don't live any differently than I do and so I don't know what good it does. I mean, that's just what they say, whether you you agree with that or disagree with that, it's fine. But I had it in a restaurant again this week where I had my long chapel shirt on, not this one, but another one. And a waitress comes up to me after the meal and you know, she says, hey, you know, I've enjoyed waiting on you. And so we have that kind of conversation. And then, then she says this, and um, I think she hesitated, like she didn't hesitate saying it, but once she said it, she might've regretted it a little bit. But I was really glad she was honest with me. She said, I gotta be honest with you. Um, I gotta be honest with you, preacher. Like my least favorite two hours of the week are to work on Sunday afternoon after all the dressed up church people come in here. My least two favorite hours of the week are when the church people descend upon our restaurant. And my heart hurt a little bit. And then I realized, well, you just talked about dressed up people. So that's not Long Chapel people. So, okay, I okay, I can receive that. All right. After I empathize with her though, right? Because my heart, my heart hurts at, at that comment. Your heart should hurt at that comment. That's not the witness. Like we can all agree, right? That's, we can be united in the fact that's not the witness that God is, is calling for us to, to have. What does it mean, friends? Grounded in character. Grounded in an understanding of longing to be more like Jesus. That we're not talking around people, but we're actually talking to them. That we're not talking through them. They're not just a means to get something done for us, but we're actually talking to them. Like trusting that God's image is in us and trusting that God's image is in someone else that I'm having a conversation with, no matter who that person may be and no matter how mad they are making me. Have you ever, like, have you been in a retail world this week? Um, I'm looking up here at Jamie Francis, who's a pharmacist, who I know has really interesting stories about customer service. But have you ever just wanted, when somebody was having an interaction with you, have you ever just wanted to say, you're out of bounds? (laughs) Like, Like, step back. Like, you're out of bounds, right? Like, you're out of bounds. Like, you've ever wanted to do that? I encourage you probably not to do that because that might actually escalate things. But it really, that bounds part is really okay because what that bounds part infers is that there are actually appropriate boundaries and that's something that has to be like, communicated and worked out in relationship. Like really, really important that we're able to do that. And the only way to do that, friends, is to ground ourselves in a spirit of humility. The only way to really have those kind of relationships um, and share that kind of truth and talk to people but not through them is to ground ourselves in um, like feet of clay, scriptural image, feet of clay, um, and stay close to the ground and realize that um, like if we have insight, it's because the Holy Spirit has provided it. Um, number two, um, number two, this is again just kind of some like hopefully like helpful tips, character building tips. Number two, this one's going to be offensive, but that's how I know it may actually be meaningful. Um, number one, I mean number two:'t don't, don't, don't always follow your heart. Don't always follow your heart, because it'll get you in trouble over and over again. Here's what I want to invite you to grab hold of. I want to invite you not to always follow your heart. I want to invite you to follow Jesus' heart, because every single time it will lead you to glory every single time it'll lead you to glory. I love two quotes I ran across this week. One that's unnamed and another one um, is by a guy named, um, man, Nate Pickup, Pickowski. I have no clue how to say that. But anyway, here are the two quotes. Um, Just follow your heart, said Jesus to no one ever. <laughs> I, that's, I really want you to take that in for a minute. Just follow your heart. Think about what Jesus' moralistic teaching was about. It wasn't about people following their own heart. It was about people following God's heart. It was about people following God's heart as he was revealing that to them. This is uh, this Nate guy whose name I can't pronounce. Here's what he said. He said, follow your heart. He said, follow your heart has ended more marriages. It's mutilated more bodies. It's destroyed more souls. And it's ended more lives than the devil could have ever imagined. It is hell's most effective slogan yet. I want to read that again just because whatever truth you can glean from that, I want you to take it in. Follow your heart has ended more marriages, mutilated more bodies, destroyed more souls, and ended more lives than the devil could have ever imagined. It's hell's most effective slogan yet. Can I invite you to build into your life practices that help reveal God's heart to you? You're doing one right now, which is worship. Can I invite you to develop into your life as daily and as weekly as you can, sometimes as hourly as you can? to be able to develop practices that um, allow you to be able to have God's heart revealed to you so that that's the heart that you're staking your life on following. Can I invite you to do that? Number three, character building trick or trip or tip, sorry. When I start talking too fast and running out of time, that's what I do. So I'm gonna slow down for a minute. Number three, The most important character defining moments aren't made in the calm, but are most often made in response to something difficult. The most important character defining moments in our lives aren't made in the calm, but are more often made in response to something difficult. Last week, we talked a little bit about how... Um, I was talking about the Waynesville courts Quartz and how there's like a green surface that's underneath a blue surface and the green is like showing through because the foundation always bubbles up. The, founda- the foundation kind of always shines through eventually, not, not initially, but eventually. Kind of want like you to think about this, that sometimes those more crisis-challenging moments in our life, they reveal really important things to us. Even when we don't handle them well they reveal really important things to us about what our anchor and who our rock actually is. And I wanna invite you to know that Jesus is that for you. I wanna invite you to know that um, Jesus is that um, for you. Here's a quote I ran into this week. It says, on an average day, most of your stress comes from the way you respond. Let me read that again and then there's a little bit more to it. On an average day, most of your stress comes from the way you respond, not the way life is. Adjust your response and all that extra stress is gone. Truly inner calmness among chaos is a superpower that frees you to focus more affectionately on the few things that actually matter. On an average day, most of your stress comes from the way you respond, not the way life is, it's the way you respond. If you can adjust your response, then all that extra stress is gone. Truly, inner calmness among chaos is a superpower that frees you to focus more effectively on the few things that actually matter most. I might or might not be married to somebody who works in retail pharmacy. And um, uh, I might or might not struggle sometimes with some stories that she might say, which she is bound by HIPAA, so she never uses names. And she never talks about anybody at Life of of Chapel um, because she knows sometimes I can't keep my mouth shut. So, um, but but what's interesting though is that when she shares something with me about um, something that happened um, that sometimes is really big and warrants a really big response, but more often than not is actually remarkably micro, remarkably small. But it never ceases to amaze me sometimes the fact that like um, sometimes we blow up over the littlest things because what we're blowing up about has absolutely nothing to do with that thing that set us off. It's everything to do with everything that happened up to that point. It's just now that I can tee off, right? Go back. Don't follow your heart. <laughs> Don't always follow your heart. Your heart's not always gonna lead you astray, but it's not always gonna lead you, lead you right either. Follow the heart of Jesus because it's never going to let you down. Follow the heart of Jesus. It's never, never going to let you down. Um, I, I'm going to tackle one more of these and then I'm going to pick up the rest of it. Actually, next week we have a special VBS celebration. So I'm going to pick up on the fifth one actually uh, next next week. Next week we have like one service. Right, Ray? We have one service next week at like 1030 It's gonna be awesome, hope you'll be a part of that. Um, But that's my really undelicate way of saying, I'm kind of running out of time, but here's what I think, the thing I wanna start with next time, and I will, is this incredible notion of what it means to grow into um, the grace of God, to grow into the grace of God. And I think we've already talked about that a little bit with growing into the heart of Jesus. But the reason I want to invite you to grab hold of that, and here's an image, and this is going to teach you until we talk about this next time. Um, do you remember when you were a kid? And do you remember when somebody gave you a piece of clothing and it was eight sizes too big? Do you, do you ever, did you ever have that? And do you remember what they said to you? You'll gr- that, you guys are awesome. Just wait, you'll grow into it. And and what if that's the grace of God? What if that's the love of God that we're meant to spend our whole entire life? You were created to grow into the way that God demonstrated love for you before you were even born. Like your whole life is about growing into the love of God. So um, we'll start with that next time. But last point I wanna invite you to take away. It's super short and brief, but it's when in doubt, follow the example of Jesus. Like God declares in Leviticus, like I'm the God that cares about your best interest. I'm the God that helped lead you out of slavery and bondage into freedom. I care about you more than you will ever know. And I long for you to be holy the way that I am holy. When in doubt, follow the example of Jesus. I mean, God doesn't just like, tell us the way. God doesn't even just show us the way. God is the way. God is the way. Can I say that again? Like, God doesn't just tell us the way. God doesn't just show us the way. Like, Jesus is the way, truth, and life. Can I invite you to let that sink in? And one last quote for today, and it's this, and um, you're gonna love it. If God can make a bug's butt light up, (laughs) think of what God can do for you. (laughs) If God can make a bug's butt light up, think about what God can do for you. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> Thanks for joining the Long's Chapel Message Podcast. If you connected in any way with us via this podcast, we invite you to connect further by either leaving a rating and review down below or contacting us via our church website at longschapel.com. Here at Long's Chapel, we believe in worshiping and serving God by reaching people and growing together as passionate followers of Jesus Christ because all people matter to God. See you next week.